You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review's Northern Command in Central Maryland. Welcome to a new week, Monday, January 28th. Really excited to be back with you guys. And you might hear my voice. I'm actually pretty happy. I have a skip and a hop in my stride. Rather than being down, no, I have not lost my mind. I know a lot of you guys have been expecting me to just be seething with rage this entire day. The announcement of Trump's capitulation was aired literally as we were finishing this show with my dear friend Jason Jones. And if you haven't heard that show, it's a real blockbuster one. You're going to have to listen to it a few times to get all that information on what's going on at our border. And I think that's the theme I really want to pivot off of for this new week. In terms of all we can do is speak the truth about the severity of the problem of illegal immigration and all of its cascading effects, the source of the problem, the cartels and all of its effects, and eventually make this issue too strong to ignore. We also have to speak the truth about what's going on in the Trump administration and the problems with, with the personnel. That Trump is not being served well by so many people in his own administration, certainly his son-in-law. And that's a problem, by the way, when you already know Republicans in Congress are broken beyond repair. So you certainly need everyone in your branch of government to be ironclad. So we're going to get to some of that stuff later. But for now, maybe it's a matter of, you know, when you have a relative who dies and you already mourn them and they already died a while ago, you kind of got over it. So, you know, we lost this battle several weeks ago when rather than going on offense and doing all the things in my blueprint, messaging-wise, voting-wise, meaning making them take tough votes, And then starting with executive actions that he could totally do lawfully and instead gave up on the State of the Union address, giving it in a spectacular platform at the border, declined to take any votes, and then made this all about amnesty. It was lost already. So, you know, we we lamented this all last week. So when he actually officially just said, we're going to reopen it, I was actually... I'll tell you, kind of relieved. At least we live to fight another day. You know, it's only three weeks and you didn't agree to cave for the remainder of the fiscal year, which could have been even worse. I'm not trying to defend anyone here. Um, You know, and look, maybe maybe I'm a little biased here. Just a public service announcement. So next week, for the first half of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm going to be out. I'm going away on Sunday with my lovely wife. Our 10th anniversary is next week, and we're celebrating it with a once-in-a-lifetime trip. Uh, my, my sister was really, really generous in offering to watch all three of her kids, which was always the impediment to going away. And she knew that, and she was like, don't worry about it. I got it. And she's just been amazing. It's, it's really difficult, you know, three of them with their schedules and everything. Um, but she's got older kids, so... They're there to help her. So anyway, I was scared about going away while you know this was all going on, but obviously I wasn't going to cancel it. So now at least I'm happy because, heck, at least now I can enjoy my vacation next week. Probably won't want to come back after that. But uh, so you know, may- maybe there's a little bit of bias in me that was looking for some way out of this, so I can enjoy my vacation once this was over with. But in all seriousness, in all seriousness, what I really mean to say is that the the problem is not what he did on Friday. 
Okay, that, that, that's not the problem. That was the logical outcome. The problem is everything he did leading up to it, and certainly the last month, but really the last two years. Let me give you a perfect analogy for what happened on Friday and why I feel the way I do and why that should dictate where we should head from here. And it basically works like this. Simple football analogy in honor of a Super Bowl week. If you have your, your favorite team and you know, first play of the game, they get the possession of the ball, first down, they hike the ball, and you're like, man, this guy's open down the field. You can make this play. Man, that guy's open down the field. You can make that play. You know what? If all else fails, you actually have a couple seconds to make a run for it yourself. The quarterback to just run for it and get a first down himself. But then he waits and waits and sits aimlessly and does nothing, has some reckless uh, foot maneuvers that get him into trouble, and the blitz comes. Okay? The blitz comes. And we're like, holy heck. This guy is going to get sacked and lose 15 yards now. And you know what? In the process, he might be stripped of the ball, might be a fumble, and the, you know it could go the, the other way completely. The other team could go and get, get a touchdown. And we're, you know, more and more, it looks like as, as the <clears throat> defensive line comes towards him, that he might actually get sacked, and this might go the other way. And in the last minute, he releases the ball, throws it into the stands for an incompletion. So it's second and 10. No yards gained, no yards lost. You got another, another shot at it. Are you going to lament the throw away of the ball? No, you're actually happy he threw away the ball at that point. The, the what you're going to bemoan at that is just everything that led up to it. But but that was already baked at that moment. So that's what I'm trying to compare Friday to, and I think it's an exact analogy to apply to to what has been happening. The problem is there were multiple opportunities to make this work messaging wise, strategically, with the blueprint we laid out throughout the last month. Most certainly, we had that opportunity the last two years. When Trump, you see, he was able to last 35 days with Democrats in charge of the House. Imagine with Republicans in charge. When all it is is a matter of the filibuster, and McConnell would have been taking the blame in his own party for perpetuating a shutdown for not changing the rules, he would have had to change them. Trump could have gotten what he wanted for two years. Everyone knows that. I'm at peace in the sense that I am the only one who has a national platform that gave a strategy during every single one of those budget deadlines beginning in March of 2017 and lasting all the way through the fall of 2018. Okay, that that was his leverage. But as you know, I'm not just a commentator and I'm not just here to bash Trump. We need to deal with this issue. This issue needs to be dealt with. It needs to be dealt with swiftly. There is no issue that is responsible for more, single-handedly responsible for more problems than everything related to the border and illegal immigration. And, 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 and that happens to be so avoidable and so redressable. So anyway, my goal at any given time is to tell you, here's what we can be doing and here's what we should be doing. Now, now you know, often I'll get emails from some of you guys who are like, Daniel, don't be such a naive fool. Ha oh, like you really believe he's going to, I'm not saying I believe he's going to do it. I'm saying this is what we should pressure him into doing. You know, yeah, I'm, it's not lost on me that I was right every other time, every last thing I predicted. But I don't take pride in that. I wish I would have been proven wrong. 
I'm not just here to say, ha, he's going to fail us. We'll go watch. I want to make sure he doesn't. I want to build a movement to try to pressure him away from the idiots that surround him. So that's what happened last week. This was already baked. By last week, it reached a point where we we were very scared that we would actually get an interception, get a fumble, go backwards, get sacked. And not only fail to get better border security, but actually get amnesty, affirmative amnesty. So the more it went on and the more they bungled the messaging and the shutdown therefore worked against them, and then you had the news of TSA, you know, workers, I don't understand because it's illegal for them to just take off unless they're quitting, which they didn't. Of course, now they all get back pay. But that was never going to end well. And I was scared with Jared and the Cokes doing their things. With their In their desperation, they would have just said, Pelosi, please just give me an out. Give me a few billion dollars and end this shutdown. I'll give you whatever you want. I, I was very scared. That was a live ball. A live fumble. So I, I was kind of relieved on Friday when he just threw the ball away. But again... It's it's not permanent. It's just three weeks where you could, you know, now we could, the fight starts today to start building the case again. And let's keep doing this. It's, it's, it's better than giving your leverage up permanently. Now it took the pressure off. Now they all got back pay, including all those people that for five weeks got a paid vacation. Imagine getting a paid vacation for five weeks. And I understand they didn't ask for it and they didn't, you know, whatever. But I'm just saying, especially for the ones that did not work, like all the people at HUD, you know, I don't want to hear any complaints. Now, obviously, Border Patrol and Coast Guard, this is a different story, but for HUD and commerce and whatever, things like that, give me a break. If you're going to tell me, I know, I know, everyone lives paycheck to paycheck and has no other, I, I, I get it. But in the real world, most people who work for the government, they might not be wealthy, but they're not at that point where... You know, if you were to tell me, Daniel, okay, here's the deal. You're going to get five weeks where you could totally take off. And you're going to get back pay. It's just it's going to be delayed two checks. Believe me, I'll make sure I have enough in my checking account if I need to transfer from, from savings to take that deal. So I don't want to hear about that. But anyway, they were feeling that pressure and they were going to cave. And that's why I actually feel relieved. Now, the next question you're going to ask is, well, Daniel, what, are you naive? Well, how, how is anything going to change? Again, I could sit here and be pessimistic and say, yeah, the same systemic problems that led to, you know, to the failure of the first down is going to be the same thing on the second and third down, and you're going to just lose this and never score anything. The other side is going to win, and we're done. And without intervention, I think we are headed to this. Because think about it. What is going to change if Trump gets reelected and they take over the House? You're just back to where we were the previous two years, where you're not going to have 60 votes, and anything you do executively, you're telling me that a court could give standing and just rule on it. Just, just rule, veto. If you agree to those two things, then we're done. That You can't do anything without 60 votes. You can't do anything executively, even if it's lawful. Then we're done. But, you know, all, all I could do is at any given moment to point out, okay, well, we have new leverage on this and use it. So obviously, the issue now is not, like I said, is not throwing away the ball for an incompletion after you were about to get sacked. I understand that, and I'm glad he did that. The issue is now that you, ha- you hiked the ball again, How do you ensure you don't keep making stupid plays that got you into that? And this is where it's a matter of messaging, strategy, policy, and personnel. Let me just start off with um, something I wasn't planning on starting off with. But I think you guys need to hear about it nonetheless. An article... 
from this is uh from the the Ma- Daily Mail online. Actually, I'm sorry. Actually, originally came from the New York Times. Trump meets with hard right group led by Jenny Thomas. Now, I I am friends with all the 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 people in this group, so I know them very well. So I don't want to talk about what they said or didn't say. And frankly, I didn't really ask anyone yet. I was going to talk to people later. And I certainly would never divulge things like that publicly. But I I, I want to tell you this, just you know what you're going to read in the article. I'll link to this article in show notes. That's very telling. So Jenny Thomas, as you well know, is the wife of Justice Clarence Thomas. She's a great patriot who, who really, really cares about this country, just from the depths of her heart. She just really cares about, you know, we talk a lot about failed people in the conservative movement that, you know, they say they care, but at the end of the day, it's just about collecting a check from nine to five, going into the office, you know, like anything else, if you fail, you fail, you still get your money, you still get your fame, you still go on TV. She really wants to, is always wants to do something. Let's do something. Let's change the game. So she led a group of however many conservatives last week to meet with Trump personally. And they were going to air their concerns that, you know, hey, I mean, we got to make sure we're fulfilling the mandate, fulfilling your election promises, and that you're not leaving anything on the table, and that there's no problems with what I like to call the shallow state. Not just the deep state, but the shallow state. Those around Trump. And it was supposed to be a candid discussion. Well, how does a discussion like that wind up in the New York Times? Now, by the way, one thing I am told is every little detail, including the and, the, and but words in the article are wrong. Not a, not a single thing about this article is happens to be right. I'll just say that much. It's not just like that we're upset that, that it was leaked. It happens not to be true what they said anyway. It, like was, it was totally made up. The stuff that they said or didn't say. But anyway... How was this leaked? Ironically, they were there to sit and complain and tell the, the president that he's not being served well by these idiots in the administration. And then one of those idiots leaked that there was an off-the-record discussion. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Just out of control. Why do I tell you this? Because this ties back in to what is going on with immigration and really every other issue with the White House, why we failed. Understanding the lessons of why this first down failed and why the second down will fail if you don't change course. I don't know who leaked it, but to me, it's very clear it's someone in the orbit of Javanka. Those type of people brought in. They are working to undermine conservatives. And it's very clear to me that they're upset that some of the people in attendance didn't exactly appreciate Jared. This is a problem, and the president needs to see this because it's abundantly clear it sure as heck was not in the interest of anyone in that meeting. I mean, from the conservatives attending it, coming to the White House, to go and leak that to the New York Times. And certainly none of them would do that anyway. If they were to leak, they would leak to someone like me or whatever. They wouldn't leak it to the New York Times. But they wouldn't leak. They wouldn't do that to the president. The president needs to realize someone very close around him is leaking things like this. Forget, forget about the what they leaked and the inaccuracies. Just the fact that the president has a 
you know, wants to have a candid discussion with some of his conservative supporters that are prominent conservatives. And there weren't too many people who knew about it. You can't blame this on some guy in the FBI or something. Okay, this is someone around him. And this ties, ties into the next point. What I find amazing is, do you, know, do you know who the top people negotiating right now the strategy on immigration? It's not the people who are, who are in that meeting. They're clearly on the outs. They clearly have no leverage. It's Jared Kushner working with this group called the Libre Institute. The Libre Institute is an open borders, conservative open borders group, they call themselves, funded by the Koch brothers. While the Koch brothers openly say they're opposing the president's reelection, while Trump says, you know, they're horrible people, he brings them in the White House to lead the negotiations. It's unbelievable. The man's his own worst enemy. You know, it's like a quarterback having, you know, the center guard and whatever else on the offensive linemen allow in, you know, the tackles and everything, allow in the linebackers. Allow the blitz in. And you're like, man, let's get the X's and O's out and make our game plan for second down. Well, before we make our game plan for second down, we got to maybe replace the line so we don't have people brought in to blitz the quarterback. <laughs> okay? I mean, <laughs> you, you can't go on like this. This is the problem. Jared is working with this Garza guy, Daniel Garza, who's the head of this Libre Institute. Can you imagine? He's the one to go. This guy doesn't care about the border. Unbelievable. I'll, I'll link to it. It's a National Review article. Can the Koch Network and Jared Kushner come up with a big immigration reform deal? I can't believe this is happening. I cannot believe this is happening. This is Orwellian beyond belief. But at some point, you know, the president's got to look in the mirror. If you're, if you're that, and, I, and I, it's a vile word. I hate using it, but it rhymes with luck. If you're that lucked, by your own people, maybe you're just a weak leader. But anyway, that's the first step. The first step is a personnel change. The next step is obviously policy and messaging. Now, he started he started this on Friday, and I think in a good way, while he was caving, he really did give a very vivid illustration of the crime and the fiscal cost. I don't know if he spoke about fiscal so much, but the drugs and the cartels and the brutality. And we need to bang in on that. And he has to make this broader than the wall. And I'm going to explain why. You guys know this already, that the wall is one piece, but it's not really part of it, especially right now he's just asking for a few hundred miles of strategic fencing. So it's not even that anymore. At this point, the strategy should not be the end game to get Pelosi to agree for a few billion dollars in border funding, the border patrol, some detention beds, certainly the stupidity of hiring more immigration judges. It should be the president has two powers. Let me make this very clear. You know, I am an Article One guy. I would never, ever support the president violating the Constitution. But the president has two Article II powers that are unassailable. Full control over foreign commerce, and he's the commander-in-chief of the military. There are two things about that. Number one, he could do anything to repel an invasion. And as we're going to discuss, this is an emergency, this is urgent, and it's an invasion, and he could repel it. So the use of the military and everything that buttresses military infrastructure. Some of that could potentially be wall funding with emergency powers. But again, that's not even the point anymore. And number two, obviously, his control over foreign commerce allows him to prevent anyone or anything from entering the country. If he doesn't want it to enter the country, 
it doesn't enter it. Now, Congress does have concurrent jurisdiction. So let's say the president wants something to enter and they bar it. They could bar it. I mean, you know, again, it would have to be on statute and he would have to sign it. But, you know, Congress has that power, too. But it's the lowest common denominator of sovereignty. If either one objects, a good or a person cannot enter the country. He could shut down all cross-border migration and he could declare a comprehensive strategy to combat the cartels. Why is this important? It's important because A, strategically, it speaks more to the problem than just the wall. And B, politically, it's more important. A very interesting poll came out. We're going to have an article, a write-up. Chris Pandelfo is going to have a write-up uh, at, where is this? At our website. I'm trying to dig up the article here. Nancy Pelosi took a bigger hit in her favorabilities than even Trump did. So if you look at everyone, you know, where they where they dipped in terms of their fave unfaves. Trump dipped 12. McConnell dipped 18 and Pelosi dipped 19 points. It's an NBC Wall Street Journal poll. One of the reasons why again I'm not so upset as of now, but you know, if we don't change, it will be a disaster. Is one thing we did succeed in doing, which I said all along, it wasn't about. See, I care less than other people do because I know it's not about a few billion in money because it's not a money problem. It's much bigger than that. When you have diseases and drugs and criminals and gangs and a fiscal charge and a cultural charge, and now you saw the article in Texas 96,000 known. Non-citizens register to vote. 61% of them cast ballots. That's an emergency in itself that cuts the foundation of our democracy, of our self-governing as a, as a people, as a society. That's worse than an invasion. That denudes us of our right to, to self-govern. It's so much bigger, this issue. So, so the objective was to rocket this issue up to the top of the priorities of voters. And that succeeded. All polls show that now this is the top issue, immigration. 62% believe that the border is a very serious problem. The problem was we always said people need to know about this. Now, they don't know enough, and we need to keep building the case. But look, you know, I'm always pessimistic. I'm trying to give you guys some sort of hope. I think that is very legitimate that at least we are having a sustained national dialogue over this issue, something we can never achieve the last two years, really the last 15 years, which, which drove many of us nuts. There's nothing more to talk about if we can't solve this issue. It's not Social Security and Medicare, which are very important issues, but are harder to solve. Nobody wants this. Nobody wants non-citizens voting. Nobody wants diseases and criminals and gangs and public charges brought into this country. No one wants our English language destroyed. The Democrats know this. They can't. I mean, even Kamala Harris. It's interesting. And, and this is reflective of all Democrat messaging. They just, she mocked that, oh, you really think a border wall is going to stop the cartels? Notice how she couldn't poo-poo and delegitimize the severity of the problem with the cartels. She just said the wall's not going to help. Okay, so Trump needs to say, you're right. It's much more than the wall. That's just a small piece. We're going to shut down all immigration because that's the mother's milk of the cartel power, as we're going to discuss. We need to start bombing, bombing their poppy fields, bombing their um, labs. I mean, everyone, all their constituents, they know over 70,000 people dying from this. You can't deny it. We have them around the neck because they themselves made a whole thing about the opioid crisis. All right. So it's a crisis, isn't it? That's where he has them. That's why they're going nuts. You, you, you saw that all this... Uh, Media coverage over him talking about how they would duct tape people's bodies. And the media are like, oh, where did he make that up from? Because they know how potent that is with the public. And by the way, it's funny that 
It's not funny, but you guys heard it here first from Jason Jones and from Derek Maltz. They, they talked about that all the time. They would see that. President certainly gets his briefings on this, so of course he knows about this. If the public were to know about this, it would realign politics in America. So that's where there's hope. Pelosi's numbers went down. People care about the immigration issue now. So we genuinely do have a second down and a chance to score if he changes strategies and makes the plays and stops having people trying to force an interception like Jared freaking Kushner. And with that, I want to explain why we need to broaden this message. Designating the, ter- the cartel groups as terrorists. Threatening military action. Building up the military infrastructure at the border, which you can do under DOD powers. Stopping all immigration, which as I noted Friday, seemingly they're quietly taking a good step on asylum. Well, you know, before I comment more on that, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. But I want to talk to you, and I'm going to have an article out today on what's going on in New Mexico. A bunch of news stories that came out over the weekend that prove everything we've been talking about. We were at the cutting edge explaining exactly strategically what the cartels were doing with these bogus asylees and how that was such a danger to this country, both from the bogus asylees and the diseases and poverty and often crime they themselves bring in, but certainly the people that they enable the cartels to bring in by tying up the border agents. Between a CBP press release and a number of news stories out of New Mexico, it demonstrates all of the things we've been warning about. It demonstrates why a wall is important, but this is so much bigger than it. It demonstrates why this is the biggest national emergency and, and in any other context would be considered to be a war with the cartels and demonstrates why Trump needs to continue messaging along these lines and orient the policies towards a national emergency. So the news out of New Mexico was unbelievable. I'm I'm just going to read to you here from a Washington Examiner article. There's a USA Today article, and there's a lot of local media as well. About Hidalgo County, about the groups of, um, let me see where this is. There was something like twenty six groups of over a hundred people at a time just since October that came over. We were warning about this, this new trend where they come over in the several hundreds at a time over the weekend, 306 people came over in Hidalgo County. There's only one crossing there, one highway there, very remote County in the Southeast corner of New Mexico, right adjacent to El Paso, Texas. And guess what? One of the individuals had a flesh-eating bacteria. Okay? So let me read to you from the Washington Examiner. Hidalgo County, located in the southernmost part of New Mexico, is comprised of fewer than 5,000 residents. The average resident makes 32000 a year, and the low incomes mean the county has less money to use, and its general budget is just $1.7 million. Two county officials who spoke with the Washington Examiner during a recent meeting said they have been mass- there have been massive groups of migrants from 100 to 300 people, each getting dropped off in the county. The high number of arrivals wasn't a problem at first, but by November and early December, it became a problem when many people began showing up sick and in need of professional care. For a while, there were There, we were being called every day. The Border Patrol wanted us to do their screening because they had a lack of medical personnel, said Hidalgo County Emergency Medical Services. Um, Imagine this is what you're doing to a tiny county. They barely have enough to deal with their own medical emergencies, and you have people coming over with all sorts of things. Whipple only has six other staff members and five volunteers on his team, and they were responsible for responding to medical emergencies across the 5,000-square-mile county. Going from the EMS headquarters in 
Lordsburg to Antelope Wells, that's the crossing, then to the nearest hospital and back to Lordsburg is a six-hour trip, he said. Situation prompted county manager Tisha Green to reach out to the state and border representatives in late December. In response, Border Patrol deployed members of its Border Patrol search trauma and rescue to alleviate the stress on the county medical personnel. Since then, Whipple's calls from Antelope Wells have dramatically decreased, partially because the number of large groups arriving there has also declined since Christmas. However, other problems remain. The closest... Border Patrol station to Antelope Wells is located 95 miles north in Lordsburg, and all migrants who showed up to Antelope Wells had to be transported by border agents to Lordsburg. County officials say scabies outbreaks have plagued that facility, though Border Patrol public affairs officials and CBP did not respond to requests for a tour and comment of either facility. They've had big issues with scabies, said Whipple. That's an ongoing thing. Scabies is an infestation of the skin by microscopic microscopic mites that lay eggs, prompting an acne-like rash and severe itching. If It is contagious if a person with scabies makes prolonged skin contact with another person. Um, the biggest concern that I've heard about is not that there is disease-ridden, but the fact that, they're, that they don't vaccinate. Now, think about, just for a minute, think about how many people are coming over. Think about it. Are coming over because the, the agents are tied down. It's bad enough we now have to deal with the diseases up front. But imagine the people not vaccinating as well as the criminals, the gangs, the drugs getting in while they're tied up. Let me read to you the CBB press release. Where is it? <clears throat> Today, U.S. Customs and Border Protection released new information regarding the number of family units apprehended along the southwest border. I'm just going to kind of skip as I go along. As of today, U.S. Border Patrol has seen a surge in family unit aliens compared to the same time from last fiscal year up 280%. Now, they go through different things. They noticed that there's been a dramatic increase in number in the number of large groups of illegal aliens or more being apprehended along the border, a hundred more at a time. In the El Paso, Rio Grande Valley, Valley, Tucson, and Yuma sectors, over the last four months, smugglers and traffickers have delivered 53 large groups totaling 8,797. We warned about those sectors. Of them, almost all of them were family units from Guatemala, as well as unaccompanied alien children. That means 96.1% are family units or unaccompanied children. They have some more data here. I'm just going through it. U.S. Border Patrol transported 2,224 subjects to local hospitals since December 22nd. Just one month period. One month. We had to deal with that. You can imagine how many more are prone to these diseases, carry them, aren't vaccinated. Look at this. USBP has spent a total of 19,299 hours providing various levels of support to these hospital visits. This includes transportation to and from and over watch for each person, family at the hospital. This means there are less agents performing border duties. On January 15, 2019, U.S. Border Patrol arrested a group of 247 illegal aliens, of which 50 individuals required immediate treatment from a medical profession at a hospital. Transporting 50 individuals to the hospital utilized nearly all available agents, severely limiting their ability to process the large group or respond to other border security duties, thus resulting in increased time in custody, delaying custody, transfer coordination, and inhibiting response to other illegal cross-border traffic. Smugglers and traffickers then use these large groups as cover while USBP resources are utilized to arrest and detain and detention related duties associated with the large groups. They go on to note that on January 16th, they apprehended 253 illegal aliens and in a separate event seized 265 pounds of marijuana. On January 17th, U.S. Border Patrol agents seized 705, wow, 705 pounds of cocaine. On the same day, U.S. Border Patrol apprehended a large group of 175. I mean, they're trying to show, literally, you are at the cutting edge. 
if you listen to the show, everything we talked about over the last number of <clears throat> months, that this is a crisis because it's not organic. It's the cartels that use our stupid court edict laws to shove these people. So now you want to talk about a shutdown. Everyone's like, ah, okay, the shutdown's over. No, the shutdown's not over. It's worse than ever. If you ask a Border Patrol agent, would you rather get paid on time and be manipulated by the cartels unwarranted, unwittingly to serve as the final step in completing the smuggling operation? Meaning, if you didn't have them, it would be one thing. The fact that we have border agents is worse because they're used to now manage the flow for the cartels. They make a killing off of that. And that's when they bring in all the other really bad stuff. But scabies, flesh-eating diseases, other articles in New Mexico talk about um, chicken pox, all sorts of things coming in. This is, un- this is what Trump needs to talk about, not tweet about. Talk about every day. This is what is so, so dangerous. Unbelievable. It's just... Name me any other... Name me one other threat that has done this much to us with diseases, drugs, gangs, criminals public charge, cultural charge, and that's what it is. You know I'm a big hawk on Islamic terror. And that's a looming threat. China's a looming threat. Russia's a looming threat. North Korea's a looming threat. But right now, what is doing to us more than that, than the cartels? That's where Trump's messaging needs to go towards. This is worse than a traditional invasion. Name me what else is doing this to us. So we've reached a point where this is about so much more than a couple billion dollars to throw out the border. It's a policy problem. It's an invasion. And if he cannot stop this as commander-in-chief, then he should step down. This is from the local Fox affiliate. A man who was in Border Patrol custody, this is... um. KFOX 14, Lordsburg, New Mexico. A man who was in Border Patrol custody had to be treated for a flesh-eating bacteria. The migrant who was already in custody at the Lordsburg, New Mexico Border Patrol station told an agent Thursday about a growing rash he had. He was taken to a medical facility for evaluation. Officials said hospital staff diagnosed diagnosed him with a flesh-eating bacteria. They said he needed more extensive treatment. On the same day, a large group crossed illegally at the southern New Mexico border, said a Border Patrol official, a group of 306 migrants crossing illegally were taken into custody by Border Patrol agents working at Camp Bounds Ford Operating Base at the Antelope Wells Port of Entry. This group consisted of mostly of Central American families and unaccompanied ju- juveniles, they said. Some of the juveniles were in need of immediate medical assistance and were taken to local hospitals for treatment of various illnesses and injuries. The majority of the group was taken to the Lordsburg station for continued processing. It was then that agents learned about the man with the growing rash on his leg. Officials said this is the 26th group, 26th group consisting of more than 100 people since the beginning of the fiscal year in this area alone. In this area alone, Hidalgo County, the 26th group of more than 100 people since October. Think about that. One area. There's another big caravan of 12,000 people coming everyone's talking about. But it's much more than that. We have a caravan every day in every border sector. Criminal organizations smuggling these groups of people continue to take advantage of them in order to enhance their illicit activities without due regard to their risks to human life. According to Border Patrol, in most cases, these smugglers never cross the border themselves and risk apprehension. Okay? 
trying to find more more articles here, but th- th- this is this is insane. This is WLOS, another place in uh, Lordsburg, New Mexico. We're seeing, for example, chicken pox, different strands of influenza, syphilis, scabies. This is something that we see with the illegal aliens, and we have to provide treatment for them, said Carlos and Antunias with U.S. Customs and Border Protection. I mean, it's just it's just unreal, unreal. What what's so important about this? Remember, we were the first to tell you that the El Paso border sector, which includes all of New Mexico, was previously dormant, and and has spiked almost 2,000% in terms of family units since this time last year. Why is that important to talk about New Mexico? New Mexico, if you look on a map, um, USA Today, Washington Post, they have interactive maps of what's at the border, what type of fencing. Almost the entire New Mexico has either nothing or just um, vehicle barriers, like the uh, Normandy type of barriers. You just walk right over it. So, A, it's important. It shows the need for the wall. But it's something much more. It's something that Jason kept telling us. We keep playing whack-a-mole here. When you have more... If the end game is a gradual construction of a few billion in border fencing, they just go, the cartels adapt and go to where you don't have it. So we have stepped up enforcement in other parts of Texas. They've been driven westward to New Mexico now where you have a lot of liberals in charge there. That's the problem. A lot of the sheriffs are liberal, state officials. You know, that's the lesson. In some areas, like in San Diego and Yuma, they're going over the fence. It's time to go after the cartels. It's time to declare them as, as terror groups and utilize DOD assets to go after them. And that will make Trump's case more credible to declare an emergency. But I think these are the things he needs to do to build the case. Because frankly, this is the only way to solve it anyway. But it's also a messaging war, and you got to get your messaging into shape. So that's, that's where we are with this. Now there's another emergency. Even if not a single criminal would ever cross the border, even if not a single public charge would ever cross the border, even if not a single person with a disease would cross the border, if we had no other problem from illegal immigration but the following problem, it should be the biggest national security problem. Okay, And that is illegals voting. Or, or, or not, not just illegals, but non-citizens. Non-citizens voting. That is the whole enchilada. If we have this many known people registered to vote and a lot of them actually voting, This is something all of us, Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, it attenuates the value of citizenship for all of us. There's nothing so insidious as the corruption of the electorate, as Teddy Roosevelt said. It's the worst possible thing you could have. That in itself is a national emergency. But like everything else, it all gets back to data. What what the left does is they won't allow and they'll use the courts to stifle any – transparency or enforcement mechanism. So we don't know the severity of the problem, but we know it's like, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. So then we're like, okay, so then show us the records. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. Same thing with quantifying criminal aliens. It's the same thing with quantifying the extent of non-citizens voting. The Texas Department of Public Safety released information based on an analysis they've been doing the last year. 
that showed that 96,000 non-citizens are likely registered to vote. And that's just from the data they were able to pull. You have to remember, Harris County refuses to cooperate. That's Houston. That's the biggest problem that you're going to have with the amount of non-citizens there. And it's required. It's required in the National Voter Registration Act, known as Voter Motor Voter, for them to cooperate and clean their voting rolls. And yet, rather than the courts forcing those counties to go ahead and clean their voting rolls, the courts block the states or counties or those that want to prevent non-citizens from voting. So they found that 96,000 non-citizens in Texas are, are registered to vote. You can only imagine how many are in California and other states that really, you know, we have very close elections now. And this makes the difference. And they found that 61% of those 96,000 actually cast at least one ballot since 1996. Now, some of you might see, might have seen the Texas Tribune put out on Twitter, no, this is not true. That's not what they said. That's not what they said. It doesn't prove that non-citizens are voting. Here's the Amelia Bedelia thing. Here's what they do. They try to stifle any enforcement, and then they say, therefore, you don't know 100% that they're all illegal votes, and therefore try to discredit, but in itself is a self-indictment of their position. Basically, it's this. We don't know 100% that every last one of these is, was an illegal vote cast or illegal registration. We don't know that. But what we do know is, what we know is disturbing enough that we should all agree. Here, here's what they do. It's like, it's like, let's say we have data that seems to indicate there's 2 million criminal aliens. And you're like, well, you only know definitively based on that that 1.5 million are. The other ones, it's not 100% clear yet. Well, we instead of poo-pooing it, we should all get together and like, wait, we have a problem. We need to deal with this. So the same thing here. So what it means is these are the people, 96,000 people that they know of, gave immigrant documentation to register to vote. Gave work permits or green cards. Uh, imagine that. Voting is citizenship, and you give an immigrant documentation. So the, so I think what the Texas Tribune is insinuating is that, well, well, uh, they, they could have naturalized. Well, you would think if you naturalized at the time you're registering, you would give something better. You're right. A couple of them could have been lazy. But first of all, you got to use your imagination that most of them will be illegal, and, that, and that's something we need to investigate and have the counties clean and send out notices and investigate, right? You can't deny that's a problem. But moreover, 100%, without knowing anything more, 100% of those 96,000 are a problem. Because if on the front end, all we're doing to verify, meaning let's say, I don't know, you know, I'm an American citizen, right? I'm a Daniel Horowitz, I'm an American citizen. And let's say I um, apply for a passport and I give... Now, look, I'm, I'm not an immigrant, but let's say I would be and I naturalize and I give a, a work permit, a visa as, as like, you know, proof. And they go and hand me um, an American passport. And then later on we find out, but we find out, no, no, but that guy was naturalized. But that in itself that you're handing out American citizen documents based on non-citizen documentation is a problem because that means most other cases, it really will be a non-citizen. This is stolen sovereignty at its foundation. How could we allow this to go on for another day? Yet the courts have blocked states from re requiring proof of citizenship up front. How could we go on as a country without making this a debate? And this is what I mean. This is where the issue needs to be broadened of the ill effects of illegal immigrants and how they're affecting us. And all of them, even if they're not voting, are voting. How? Because they're counted in the census. And that needs to stop. And another court stops that. Notice how everything gets back to the courts. 
This is the severity of the problem. This is worse than an invasion. An invasion you could repel and push back. It's only temporary. Here you permanently have them embedded in our society, attenuating our language, ruining our culture, destroying our schools, our hospitals, diseases, and and our, our, our very own franchise. Two million criminal aliens. Now, not, not all of these people are illegal. A lot of them could be illegal immigrants, but nonetheless, it's just as bad. We have record immigration, legal and illegal in this country at this point. We've never had this many immigrants in our foreign, foreign born in our country. Now, some of them eventually naturalize and then they, they could vote, but a lot of them aren't. How in the world do you not have a definitive federal mandate, at least for federal elections? To ensure that non-citizens aren't voting. That in itself is an act of war. What the cartels are delivering into our country. Just because just they don't come with M4s. It would be worse if they did. And, and, and by the way, as Jason Jones explained. These are highly trained people. And eventually we are going to have those problems. We already are on our soil. These are all the things Trump needs to give over every day in speeches, including the State of the Union. But he needs to start acting executively and treating this as an emergency and building up the policies and case that will make it clear to the American people so that eventually when the left and pseudo-right want to demagogue that declaration of the media, the American people won't, won't care. And that will be all his leverage he needs over Pelosi. Because anyway, this is so much bigger than a few billion in border funding. And the point Trump needs to drive home every day is that this is a national emergency and that, no, we have not reopened our government. This is the greatest shutdown ever if cartels could shut down our border agents with taking care of diseases being treated as ad hoc hospitals and babysitters while they bring in the worst of everything, killing our country with drugs. It's undeniable it's been declared a national health emergency. And they could permanently alter the character of our country, the voting of our country, the senses of our country. He needs to make this case. That is the ultimate shutdown of all government. Shutdown of our border patrol, but shutdown of our very presence of a federal government and federal union. He needs to make that case. And and again, it's designating them as terror groups. It's using all of the drug laws, anti-smuggling laws that frees up DOD funding. And as I noted last week, that does not even require. That does not even require. an act of emergency, but certainly by building these steps, you're not going to, you know, zero to 101 shot. He's got to start this now. He's got to make this broader. And ultimately, we got to look look in the long term. What do we expect and how do we expect things to change if we don't change our modus operandi? Like I said, the courts are never going to just go away. If you don't push back against them. Geographically, politically, there's no path to getting 60 votes in the Senate for the foreseeable future. With a Republican president or without. So that avenue is over with. It's time to think outside the box. And that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm going to try to have more guests on the show coming days and going away next week, obviously, but for the remainder of this week, try to discuss each of these pieces. Let me know what you want to hear more of, what you're more intrigued by, any questions for our guests. But that's the best we can do is just speak the truth on policy, political strategy, try to get in his face, try to get others to get in his face that have more pull than I do. But you can't go easy on him. You don't have to tear him down. It's not what I'm doing here. Is actually the best approach for his own survival. It's a medicine he needs to take. He needs to get rid of Jared. Get rid of Jared. You know, 
I was struck last week by the triumph of Malok in New York, where we we had Andrew Cuomo, the New York governor, signing a infanticide bill, killing babies up until when they come out in the womb. Heck, under such a bill with such lax oversight, you'll probably have them doing it after they're born, like Pharaoh in in Egypt throwing the Jewish babies in the water. You know, like hey, you know, why not? That's not a real life anyway. And I was thinking, like, man, you know, it was always a very liberal state, but you had they had the House, they had the governorship for a while. But the Senate was kind of deadlocked the way the geography is there. The state Senate was half Republican. The Republicans were rhinos, but you know they had Republicans. This election, they broke that. Now they have all three branches. Look at what they do the minute they're in power. They don't have excuses. They don't talk. They do. For this president, it's time for him to stop talking, and it's time for him to do. And in order, order for him to do, he needs to change his messaging, change his tactics, Change his policies, and yes, change his personnel. And we need people to join me in having the guts to tell a president to do so. Till tomorrow, this has been another episode of the Conservative Conscience.